Can we talk about something really cool today? All right. Um, I want to I encourage you guys, if you do not have, if you've got a smartphone, there are two apps I'd like to encourage you guys to have if you don't have them. Um, one is Uversion, which is a free version of the Bible. You can download that Bible. It's for free. It's got plans on it. It's got notes. It's got things like that. It's got 175 different versions. I don't know how many different versions there's. If you speak Dutch and you want to read the Bible in Dutch, I guess you could do that as well, right? But there's all kinds of different versions. You can get that. Actually, the sermon notes um, uh, wind up being loaded into it. And you can follow. Our, when Pastor Ron preaches, you can actually follow along the sermon notes. It's an event and everything. Really cool stuff, right? A second app, if you are a nerd, um, would be, is also a free app. It's called the Blue Letter Bible. And the reason why I like the Blue Letter Bible is because contained in that app is a link to the entire Strong's Concordance. Geeks of the world? <laughs> Amen. All right, great. Um, and what that is, in case you don't know, what it is is, 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 is there's this guy, Dr. Strong, and he, and he went through the entire Bible, and he categorized all of the words, and then he, did, and then he looked up the, the Hebrew and the Greek definitions for all of the words, and it's a catalog of all of the, the original language that the Bible was written in. And so for a guy like me, like, whoa, right? Um, and... And so what we're going to talk about today is actually based on, on Pastor Ron's message last week and one particular passage in it, and I looked into it, dug into it, and when we do this in the Word of God for ourselves, when we dig into the Word of God, you never, you'll be amazed what you find. So I want to encourage you to do that um, and spend some time just, even if you just look things up in the regular dictionary, um, really cool idea to do word studies, to memorize Scripture, um, because you get it into your, into your heart and into your mind, and God will take that and use it to change your life. So today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about victory. So the Iron Nun, 45 Iron Mans. Now, let me tell you something. I, I do some, some, some athletic things, and, and, and I do a, a bunch of cycling, and, uh, and I've actually done a century. I've actually ridden my bike 100 miles. You get on your bike, you ride 100 miles. Um, you have to stop once in a while to you know, refill the water bottle and go to the bathroom and keep going, right? Um, but I've done that, and, uh, and, and there is no way I would ever think about getting off that bike and then running a marathon. No way. Just... <laughs> That's not happening. I need a massage, a nap, and food, right? I'm not running, like, I'm not running a marathon after that. And so, so to have her be 85 years old and be like, yeah, I've been doing it since I was like 40, you know, and I just keep doing it, that's pretty amazing, right? Um, and I want it to be an inspiration because what I want to talk about is this. Last week, Pastor Ron was talking, and in Romans 8.37, he, he, said, he said this. It was a different translation than what I'm going to use today, but it was, it's basically the same concept. He said, in all these things we are, uh, he said, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. Right? The, the, the older or more common translation would be something like this. It, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And, and it's not very often that, um, you know, I'll do, I'll kind of study things out and, and look things up and do stuff like that and uh, just allow it to inform what I'm going to teach on. But, but today we're actually going to look at a Greek word. And the only reason we're going to look at it is because it is really important to understand what that means. And it's also something that we can easily understand. When it says, <clears throat> when it says, yet in all these things we're more than conquerors, that word more than conquerors is one word, or overwhelming victory. Um, those two things are one word. And that one word is a Greek word called uh, hypernikio. Uh, it's, it's hyper, like H-Y-P-E-R, nikio. I know if you know Greek, you're like, oh my goodness, 
Mm, I don't even know if it's gyro or gyro, okay? But I'm just reading it, okay? So N-I-K-E-O, Nikio. And, and, and it really easy to understand this word. It comes from two Greek words, hyper. What does hyper mean? Hyper, hyper, over the top, right? Hyper is woohoo, over the top. You have a, a normal state of being. You have, you have two, two words. One is hupo, or where we get the word for, for, uh, for if you can, you can give you hypoglycemic or hypoglycemic. If you have hypoglycemic, you have low blood sugar. Hypoglycemic, you have high blood sugar, right? Or if you know a child, right? If they're normal and you give them a piece of candy and whoa, hyper, right? Hyper means over. Hyper means over the top, hoople means underneath, right? So in this case, it means hypo. That's where you get the, the idea of we are more than conquerors or overwhelming victory. The word overwhelming is you use the, the idea of victory as the starting point, and you go from there over the top. Cool? Cool. All right. Um, the second thing would be this. The word nikiel, the reason why it's, it's interesting is because the O at the end of it. But take the O off of it, and you have N-I-K-E. What's that? Nike. Nike, which is why I showed the Just Do It commercial here. Because the Just Do It, boy, the, I don't know if the guys out in Oregon actually know the original Greek for it, but Just Do It is a really good term for Nike. Because does anybody know what the word Nike means? It doesn't mean shoes. Nike is the Greek word for victory. Cool to name your company, your shoe company after that, right? That's a cool idea, right? But Nike means victory. So over the top, victory. But when you put the O at the end of it, and when you put it in a specific tense, now I'm not an English guy, but I understand tenses and stuff like that. I'm not, I'm not really good at that. I, I, I do the uh, take my sentence, read it out loud, and if it sounds normal, it must be good. Sprinkle in a couple of commas and for effect. And then hit check the grammar button, right? And if it's good, I figure it's good. But there are different tenses of verbs, right? We know that, past, present, future, to-do, right? Okay, there is, a, there is a tense here. We won't get into the, into, the, into the technical aspect of it, but there's a tense in the Greek that this is in. That's why that's, that's, why that's not hypernike, it's, it's hypernikio. And there's a tense in the Greek that doesn't exist in the English language. But, but as I looked at it, the best way of understanding, the best way of understanding the tense in that Greek is that it is, is basically it makes the noun, victory is a noun, right? Victories or losses, or that's a noun. It takes the noun and makes it an indirect object of a verb. What that simply means is this. It basically, was there an English teacher like, oh, uh, okay, okay. It takes the noun and makes it an indirect object. Okay, so now what it does, what that essentially means is the noun derives part of its meaning from the verb that is acting like an adjective at the noun. In other words, the noun doesn't really have meaning in and of itself. It is an action noun. Is that a good way to put it? Okay, this is super important. Let me read the scripture and make sure we understand it. Because it, you know, let's, let's read the scripture. Romans 8, we'll start at verse 31. And there's a reason why we're going to start at verse 31. And it's revelatory to what's happening here. And I know it's 9 o'clock in the morning and maybe you've just finished your coffee, but stick with me on this. <laughs> Romans 8, 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? 
these things is a whole bunch of bad stuff. If God is for us, who can be against us? Does that mean that some people might be against us? Why is he asking that question? Because there might be times where people are genuinely against us. And God, he's trying to remind us, if God's for us, does it matter who's against us? He who did not spare his own son. He's reminding us of something that he's done. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? What he's actually saying is, is somebody bringing a charge or an accusation against you? Do you hear what he's He's giving a talk to people who are under pressure and under burden. Does that make sense? Now listen to the whole thing. If you think about it in that context, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's speaking to people that are under fear that they're going to be separated from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? If you are facing these things, there might be the temptation to believe that you are losing. But he says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Can you imagine the Christians in, in northern Iraq? When ISIS came rolling in and painted the, the symbol for Christians, Christian lives here, we'll be back to deal with you. Can you imagine how they felt? They probably felt like the people who were on the receiving end of this in Romans, don't you think? He said, yet in all these things, in the midst of all these things, in the midst of distress and persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword, tribulation, in distress of accusations, in distress of condemnations, in the midst of these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory is ours. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor even height or depth or any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Overwhelming victory is ours. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, we often think that everything comes from God, and it does. Right? James says every good thing comes, comes from God. But I want us to understand something. That the way that this is structured does not mean sit back and God will deliver a victory to you. That's not what it means. Because then it wouldn't be the object, it wouldn't be the indirect object of a verb. Then it would just be the noun. It would say something like, overwhelming victory will be given to you through, from Jesus Christ. But it doesn't say that. It says that overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ. So, when we are experiencing this overwhelming victory, when we, when we become more than conquerors, we need to understand that the, the impetus, the energy, the, 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 the empowerment to do that came through Jesus Christ our Lord, but that it is our victory. We put it like this. It is not the victory of the fan, but the victory of a player. It is not overwhelming victory is mine because Jesus gave it to me. That is an incorrect concept from that scripture. What Paul is saying very specifically is overwhelming victory is mine because I want it. Because I took action. Because I did the thing. Uh, I, I, I want to illustrate this with a, with a video. Now, we're going to show 
a video of a team winning a championship. And I know that you guys who know me are like, oh yeah, he's a Steelers fan. We're going to see the Pittsburgh Steelers winning a championship. And I know that there are plenty of, of videos of the Steelers winning the championship, actually more than any other team in the history of the league. <laughs> but that's not it, and we're not going to show that. Because I knew that you'd probably think that, I said, let's, let's show somebody else winning a championship. My second favorite, uh, my second favorite team to win a championship um, and, and let's take a look at it, okay? So let's take a look at this video. I want to see this and we'll see the reaction of, of a team winning a championship. Brady, he's back again. He steps up, he's hit, he stumbles, he is throwing it deep for the end zone and it is... You guys are like, the Eagles are your second favorite team? No, my first favorite team is the Steelers, and my second favorite team is anybody who's playing the Patriots. So, uh... <laughs> Actually, um, the, uh, uh, the, the important thing to see about that, a couple of things. Um, if you followed sports, then you know that Nick Foles, the guy who was on the sidelines holding his head like this, you know he was going to retire before that season. He was going to give it up because he'd been a little starter for a little bit of time and then wasn't a starter and been kind of a perennial backup. And he's like, man, I've been traveling all over the place, different teams all over the place. I'm just, you know, this has been great, but I'm just done. And his coach convinced me, he said, you need to come and you need to play for our team. Just give it another shot. Why should I do it? Carson Wentz, he's a great quarterback, fantastic quarterback, really led them to the place where they could be. Uh, they could be in the, in the Super Bowl, and late in the season, uh, Carson Wentz um, tears ligaments in his knees, goes down. Nick Foles comes out, leads him through the playoffs, leads him to the Super Bowl, and that dude was the MVP of the Super Bowl. But he could have given up, but he didn't. That was a cool part. The other cool part was, did you, I wanted to, we have some pictures, can we, can we throw, those, uh, throw those pictures up there? Um, so, so you notice this is the universal sign of victory. This is in every culture, in every, in every time, this is the sign of victory. There's a whole, there's a TED talk on it, by the way, really cool. Um, this is the universal sign of victory. There really is, yeah, there's a TED talk on it. Um, this is the universal sign of victory, right? That's what that, that fan is doing, right? Nothing against that fan. I'm sure he's excited. I've done that too when, when, the, when the Pittsburgh Steelers win or, or on occasion when the Mets win. Um, I, I do that too, right? Um, but that is not that word. That's, that's not his victory. 
He's the fan. That is a victory, but that's not his team. He doesn't own the Eagles. He owns a jersey from the Eagles. He bought a ticket, or his dad probably bought the ticket. He bought the ticket, right? He got to see it, right? When the Pittsburgh Steelers win, I didn't never, you'll never hear me say, we, because I was never a Pittsburgh Steeler. I was never part of the organization. It's they. I just happen to own the T-shirt, right? Okay? Go to the next picture. That's victory. That's victory. The victory that is mentioned in here, when he says we are more than conquerors, it means I have done the thing. I have done the thing. The victory belongs to the 53 guys on that team and their coaching staff and the trainers and all that, but it belongs to him. I have won the victory. Now, before you think, oh my goodness, Master and Joe, you're talking about pride. No, 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 no. We need to understand that if, as I move and breathe and, and live, every part of my being is empowered by Jesus Christ. Galatians 2.20 is true, right? I'm crucified with Christ and nevertheless I live, and yet the life I live now, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The animating force in my life is the Holy Spirit. He gives me the ability. The idea of grace is not just that God doesn't give me what I deserve. God gives me something that I don't deserve. It's not just that. But it, grace is, is God's divine influence upon my heart, which empowers me to do something. This is the reason why the Apostle Paul said, by the grace of God, if you look at me as an apostle, and he had to say, I'm an apostle. Is that a prideful thing? No, it was a statement of fact. He said, I'm an apostle, but I'm an apostle. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So if we win a victory, if we win the victory... If we do that thing, we understand that the only way that we did that thing was through Jesus Christ. And nevertheless, I want to tell you something. You will never be victorious the way that Romans 8.37 says, unless you do the thing. And so this is much of a call to action to be victors and to be victorious and to go out and do the things that are necessary to win. Too often... And this is a shame to the Western church. Too often Christianity has been presented as come to Jesus Christ, have your sins forgiven. You should probably cry. I do all the time. Like, guys, I cry all the time. We, we talked about this last night in, uh, in Young Adults. Like, I, I, I cried looking up um, uh, Just Do It ads, right? Right? I, I cry at movies. I, I, there's nothing wrong with that but that doesn't make me weak or less of a man for doing so. But oftentimes Christianity winds up getting the weirdly portrayed as, as, and if you've ever heard anybody in the sports arena when someone becomes a Christian, like, well, now he's become a Christian, would become soft. If you knew any of the guys in the Bible, they were, so, you, you think David was soft? You think Jesus was soft? You think Jesus was some kind of like Brooklyn hipster walking around, you know, uh, sipping his latte or something like that? That wasn't what Jesus was about. And, and, and we miss out on the idea of, 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 of the striving, of the victory, of the adventure. And it's one of the reasons, and I'm thankful, very much thankful, that that's not true in our particular congregation, but in the church, large C church in general in the Western, in the Western culture, that's the reason why there is a dearth, there is a lack of men in the church. And oftentimes there are more women in the church, nothing wrong with women, but there tend to be more women in the church than men in a lot of churches. And the reason is because guys feel like it's not really a guy thing to do. And they forget that this is about hard-fought, hard-won victory. 
that it takes someone who's willing to go out and see life as an adventure and see life as a battle to be won and an adventure to be lived. Because that's what, that's what Christianity is really all about. And so I want to talk about what that, what that looks like here. We need to understand that, that becoming victorious, the reason why there's this drive for it, the reason why you go, to, you go to a football game or a baseball, basketball, whatever it is, and you stand up and you woohoo, the reason why that is, the reason why when you see someone overcoming enormous odds to do something amazing, it, it swells our heart, is because it is part of God's design for us. Let me read this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Now, we are made, our original design is made in the image of God. Now, now I don't believe that I look like God, right? That's not what I'm saying. Uh, what I believe, though, is that I have the fingerprint of God's character. It's the reason why mankind has free will. It's the reason why we have the capacity and desire to love. It's this is the reason why we, we have this desire to connect with people and commune with people outside of ourselves. It's a desire for relationship and fellowship. That's all part of God's design. It's the reason why we're creative. It's all part of God's design for us. But guess what another part of God's design is? Sovereignty. God is a sovereign God. Let, let's see what it says. Let us make man in our image according to our own likeness. And the very first thing he says, let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing on the earth. Let him have dominion and sovereignty over all creation on the earth. Okay, we screwed it up. But um, let it, let it, that was the original design, was, was to have sovereignty, was to overcome, was to, was to win. Now, God is a sovereign. That literally means that he is a victorious conqueror. God is a sovereign, and he is the ultimate sovereign, capital S, sovereign. S, capital S, sovereign. For you guys that go like this, capital S, sovereign. He is the capital S, sovereign. He is, he, so God's design is this, because if, if we are made in the image of God, we are to be sovereign as well. We are to be victorious conquerors as well. God has free will, so he chooses to do something. He makes the decision to do something, and everything he does is good. He, ha he is sovereign, big S sovereign, and he is a conquering hero. And if you doubt it, go ahead and look, up the book of, look in the book of Isaiah when God says, I saw that there was no man standing in the gaps. So he says, I will pick up my armor, and I will go down. That's the, way, that's the way that God portrays himself in the book of Isaiah. That's actually where Paul got the idea for spiritual armor in the, in the, uh, in, in the New Testament was from the book of Isaiah, was God describing himself through the prophet Isaiah. So if that's true, mankind also has free will. Mankind is also supposed to be a conquering hero. Mankind is supposed to be victorious. We are supposed to win. We are designed to win. We are supposed to be sovereign, little less sovereign. Not big S sovereign, that would, if we try to be big S sovereign, that's what Satan did, and that got him in trouble, right? But we are to be little S sovereign in our lane, in the thing that God has given us. We are to be victorious in every area of our life. And that means with our family, that means with ourselves personally, that means with our, or with our business, with our challenges, whatever that is, we are designed to be sovereign. That is our design. Now, God's victory looks like this. God wins a victory over Satan, and that is an ultimate and, and an infinite victory. God wins a victory over sin. God wins a victory over death itself. Our victory 
would look like this. Our victory is supposed to be over circumstances. Our victory would be over fear and doubt. Our victory would be over the immaturity that results in inertia. Let me help you understand what that means. Um, the immaturity that results in inertia says, oh, something needs to be done. Can't somebody give that to me? Right? Something needs to be done. Can't somebody do that for me? It's nice when somebody folds my laundry, does my clothes. Right? It feels nice when somebody does that. I tell people all the time, I said, you know when I grew up and became a man? Seriously, you know when I immatured instantly? Um, my my uh, wife and I, we weren't married yet, but we had bought a condo, and we had to redo the whole condo. It was like one of those apartment conversion condos back in the 80s. We had to redo this condo and everything like this. And uh, we redid the thing, and I moved in like two weeks before we got married. And uh, you had to walk out back to uh, take the trash out. I had to walk down the steps, or on the second floor, to walk down the steps, across the thing, up another set of steps to where the dumpster was to throw the trash out. And, and here's what happened. Here's how it became, here's how I matured. I walked in, I walked in the kitchen, I was living in this apartment. I walked in the kitchen, I opened up the little uh, door where the, where the trash can was, and I threw something in there. I threw away like a piece of whatever, paper, whatever it was, threw it in the trash can, closed the door and walked, and I took one step like this. And I went, wow, that, I recognized the trash can was full. And I went, huh. <laughs> you know, if I don't take that out, it's just not going to get done. So when I got my shoes on, I took the trash out, right? Because there's nobody else to do it. Because if I was going to get done, I was going to do it. It was much easier to have my mom fold my clothes, have somebody else take the trash out. Hey, mom, what's for dinner, right? That's the immaturity. Well, when you take that into Christianity, you get this immaturity that says, oh, God, answer my prayers. Oh, God, win this in my life. Oh, God, why is this so hard? That kind of thing like that. And God says, your job is to actually get moving and do some things yourself that I've empowered you to do. Sometimes we blame God for things that aren't happening in our life, and God's like, not my job. <laughs> not my job. Right? Now listen. Why fear and doubt? Mankind's victory is over fear and doubt because you know this primary source of fear and doubt in particular in a Christian, in a Christian's life, the primary source of fear and doubt comes in silence. In particular, in silence from God. You say, I'm praying, God. Why aren't you answering my prayer? And God will literally doesn't say, well, I'm not answering your prayer because he doesn't answer at all. Have you ever had that happen? Well, why do you think that is? Do you think it's because you've sinned? Do you think it's because God, God doesn't love you? Do you think it's because... No, that's, listen, we, we, need to, we need to happen. really get a, our minds around the way that God views us. Because when we don't, when we don't, and God's silent, and God's quiet, and his hand on our life is quiet, we can often, we, if, we, if we don't get it right, and we don't understand how God sees us, then Satan can come in and sow fear and doubt into our life. That's not it at all. Let me give you an illustration. How many of you guys are parents and have helped your kid learn how to ride a bike? Not yet, but not yet. <laughs> right? Kelly, if he's riding a bike, I want to know. If Ezra's riding a bike, you know, like, okay, great. All right, but, um, but how many of you guys have helped your kids ride a bike? Okay, or you were the kid and you, your dad helped you ride a parent. Okay, there's a point in time 
where you've got your kid on the bike and you're holding the back of their bike, right? And now they've progressed where you can kind of run alongside of them. Now, everything inside of you is looking at that child going, they're squirming, they're looking around, they're going to fall, they're going to crash, they're going to have to replace their clothes, it's going to be bad, they're going to get hurt, they're never going to want to go back on the bike, right? But at some point, I have to let go. I have to take my hands off of my child and allow them to do that. If you think that's scary, wait till they're older and the first time they drive down the street after they got their license. If you've never been an intercessor before, you will then. We'll be praying for them, the car, the general populace. Please, Lord. Right? Oh, right? Okay. Right? Am I right about that? Right? Okay. But you have to, you have to let, you have to take your hands off. You have to take your hands off of them. You have to quiet your hands in their life. Because if you don't quiet your hands in their life, they'll never learn to do something on their own. Is that right? And boy, it's an amazing thing. When they turn, they're like, I'm riding my bike. Right before they turn, you're like, don't look at me. <laughs> you're going to crash. Right? And I'm riding my bike. It's awesome. Right? And the look on their face, and now they can do it. Right? Does that make them any less your child? Probably makes them more. Don't you think God does that in our lives? Don't you think that God does that in our lives? Don't you think that God helps you overcome really bad sins that may kill you like in the beginning? Like, man, if Joe keeps drinking, he's going to kill himself. We should probably deal with that. But don't you think he does that and then says, okay, now I've showed you these things. I should, I'm going to take my hands off of this area because I want you to win a victory over that in your own life. I want you to see that, that I've empowered you. I want you to see that you're maturing. I want you to see that. Don't you think God does that? Absolutely he does it. And he doesn't do it because he doesn't care. He does it because he loves you. And he wants us, he wants us to understand sovereignty because he wants us to understand authority because he wants to give us authority. And he wants us to understand what it means to be a victor. Why do you think the parable of the talents is in the Bible? He gave him some talents, and he went away. He was coming back. That's why it's in the Bible. God wants us to be victorious, but unfortunately, we're supposed to win the, the, the thing over. God told me to do this, and this was the last thing he told me to do. I should keep doing the last thing he told me to do until he tells me to do something else. Don't think that hasn't gone through my mind a few times, huh? I'm sure it's gone through yours. That's the reason why. Now, God has made us to be sovereign, and he's made us to win that victory. He's made us to be more than conquerors. He says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Hebrews chapter 11. How do we know this? Hebrews chapter 11 says this. I want to talk about three kinds of, of, of victory uh, in, the, in the 15 minutes we've got left. Three kinds of victory. One is an exemplary victory or a victorious example. That is where you see someone else win a victory, and it encourages you. It's not your victory, but it's designed to encourage us that victory is possible, right? So that a, a victorious example, that's one. The second is a positional victory. That's where someone else wins a victory for me, right? So a great example, historical example of this would be when the, when the Jews were in Auschwitz, 
They were being oppressed. They were being killed. They were being kept captive. They were, so, they were being starved. They weren't going to escape Auschwitz, right? But the conquering army had to come in and win their freedom for them, right? So they became free, but not through their own power, true? They became free because men fought and died to get to that point to free them, true? So that is a positional freedom where I didn't do the thing, and yet I'm experiencing the benefits of the victory that somebody else won. That is a position. I've now been put in a position that I didn't earn or deserve, but I've experienced positional victory. The third is a personal victory. That's the victory that I've won. That's what Romans 8.37. But we need to understand those three types of victories. Okay? So, first of all, the reason for this is this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God would never tell us to check our brains at the door of the church. He doesn't, faith is not a leap into the dark. Faith is a step into the light. Faith says says there is this thing that is unseen, for whatever reason it is unseen, and yet I believe it is true. And the reason I believe it is true is because I have been given evidence over here to say that this thing, though unseen, is true because I've seen it work in other people's lives, or God has given me direct evidence or something else. There is evidence to believe. God would not expect you to believe an unseen thing is not true without evidence. And so what he does is he gives us evidence, okay? So a conquering God... God showing the victory reveals God's character as defined by action. The reason why we see an act of God, the reason why the, the, most, uh, the most common word in the book of Matthew is immediately, right? It, and he, he, that's the theme, is immediately this is happening. Immediately is that happening. That's why the book of Luke talk, talked about Jesus, and he doesn't really talk about the, the deity of Jesus Christ as much as in other gospels. He, taught, he shows, and then he healed this person, and then he did this person, and then he's walking on the water. Is everybody getting what's happening here, right? And he's saying by action, God is a God of action. And so the God showing victory reveals that God's character is defined by action, and then that action becomes evidence of his intention that we are to win a victory directly ourselves. Let me show you what this looks like. Revelation chapter 1, my, my greatest uh, favorite uh, view of Jesus, because again, Jesus, you know, you've seen Jesus, right? He's got long hair and a beard and a, and a white robe and a red sash, unless everybody else has red sashes and he has the blue one, you know, that kind of thing. And he's got children on his, on his lap. That's not, that's not, that, Jesus might probably didn't even walk around in a white sash, right? right. But, um, but, but we tend to think of, when we think visually of Jesus, that's what we tend to think of Jesus, you know, as a Middle Eastern dude 2,000 years ago. But that's not who he is today. That's not even what he looks like today. Listen, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. This is uh, John on the Isle of Patmos. He turns, it's a long story, he turns and he sees, he turns to see Jesus appearing to him. He says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands was one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about his chest with a golden band. His, hair, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. That's the risen Christ. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And then... 
the personal Jesus, he laid his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. Listen to how he describes himself. I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of Hades and death. I have the keys of hell and death themselves. When Jesus, he says, when I hung on the cross for your sake and for Joe's sake and for our sake, when I hung on the cross and died and I allowed myself to become sin, to become your sins so that it could sink me down into hell, that was to camouflage me, to get right in Satan's face and take the very thing that when God gave us dominion in, in the book of Genesis, when God gave us dominion over, over everything and we gave it to Satan, Satan then grabbed the keys, the authority, that's what the keys mean, the authority of hell and the authority of death and said, everyone's coming to me. And Jesus, by dying on the cross of substitutionary death, says, uh, goes, gets right in Satan's face and says, I'll take those now. I'll take those now so that no one has to go to hell ever again. No one has to go to hell ever. He essentially said, if you go to hell, you'll do it over my dead body, right? That's what Jesus said. He says, no one has to go to hell, and no one has to fear death. He says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And if you come with me, you have won a positional victory that death has no sting over you, and hell can give you no fear anymore, because I hold the keys to them, and if you're with me, I've got the keys, and you don't have to go there. Now, that is a positional victory that is the ultimate victory and the only one that matters ultimately. If you win no other victories in your life, but you got that positional victory, good on you, right? It's the only one that matters, but that's the, that's the first and most important one. But the reason why he did that is he says, I want you to remember my actions. I want you to remember how hard it was. The reason why Jesus falling on, on, on the road to, Ga to, to Golgotha, the reason why the struggle is recorded in the Bible is because there is a struggle that is required in victory. Anything that is good is ultimately hard. Anything that is good is ultimately hard. And it is far too easy to choose the easy wrong rather than the, than the hard right. And we need to remember that. So that is the positional victory we won. Let me read this to you. This is why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together. Now, if he made us alive together with Christ, are we actually sitting at the right hand of God right now? Well, no, we're sitting in church. It's cool, right? But positionally, are we sitting at the right hand of God? Yes. Listen, yes. Positionally, we are sitting at the right hand of God. That's the very reason why he says, I can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive help in my time of need. I don't have to worry about God going, oh my goodness, you again. He says, I'm dumb. I need wisdom. You can come. He says, I, don't, I won't upbraid you. I won't say you again. You just come. I can walk in and can say, in the name of Jesus, I need your help, God. And he goes, yeah, cool. I knew you needed, you needed my help. Let's go. What do you need? That's the way our prayer should be. That's the way our prayer life should be. Because I desperately need you. But the reason we need to understand this is he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not through our own action, but we want a positional victory. By grace, you have been saved. So when we identify with Christ, we, we identify with that victory. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. 
and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's him winning the victory to give, that, to give the benefits of the victory to us, lest no man should boast. We can't boast about that victory. But he does want us to experience victory. So he does this in an exemplary manner. He does this as, 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 to, to show us what it looks like, and he does it to win us a victory that we can share with him. Those are the first two victories. One is a victor, victorious example, and the second is a positional victory. We need to understand that there is a personal victory, and if you give me five minutes or seven, maybe, um, we'll talk about it, okay? The personal victory is this. He says, I desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience will inherit the promises. We are to imitate those. It's not just Jesus who has won a victory, but there are other Christians who have won victories. And we need, to, we need to look at the people who through faith and patience inherited the promises. And he goes on and he talked about Abraham. He says, for when God made the promise to Abraham, when he, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. And we're going to get out of the scripture um, in, in a second, but I do want to ask a question. Anybody know how long it was between the time that God made the promise to Abraham, that, that promise to Abraham, and the time that Isaac was born? Anybody know? Long time, 35 years. That's a long time. The guy was in high school 35 years ago. That's a long time. And yet, Abraham showed patience. Did he always? No, he screwed up. But, um, but he showed patience and faith. Patience and diligence are the outward. Patience, obedience, and diligence are the outward expression of inward faith. It is the only one that matters. Verse 19 says, This hope we have is an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, because that hope enters into the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered before us, even Jesus, right? And so he again goes back, if Jesus did it, if other people have done it, if Abraham has won the victory, you can as well. Second Corinthians says, we as workers together plead with you, do not receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive this, not just the saving grace of God, but then the power of God, the divine influence upon our heart that both changes us and also empowers us to live a life. Do not receive the power of God and have it be in vain. Do not receive the power of God to just hang out on Pinterest and, 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 and Instagram and Snapchat. Do not receive the power of God to, to whittle it away with making excuses for why we can't. That's what he's saying. For he says, in an acceptable time I heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, we do not know that we have tomorrow, but we do know that we have today. So today is the day to pursue victory. Today is the day if God has shown us to do something to pursue that. Today is the day to demonstrate patience in the struggle against what you're struggling with. Listen, you, don't, you know some of my story, you don't know all of my story, and I don't know all of yours. And I don't pretend to, 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 to stand here and say that this is easy. Not in any way, shape, or form. But it is possible. And it is possible because there's an infinite God who loves us and wants us to be victorious. 
there are, listen, he says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we may commend ourselves as ministers of God. Listen to what he says, in patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonment. It almost sounds like the list that was over in Romans 8, right? Kind of a depressing list, right? Maybe not so depressing. Maybe not so depressing. Maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe, maybe tribulation and needs and distresses and stripes, maybe accusations, maybe powers that are against us, maybe, maybe those things that are coming against us and trying to separate us from the love of God are not actually coming from Satan, but are actually coming from God. Maybe God allows them into our life, and that's our gym for us to get stronger. Because the word for endurance if you look at the badly drawn art in my Bible, um, the word for endurance is literally to live under it. Hupotithemi, to place myself under the weight. And the reason why I place myself under the weight is to get stronger. Maybe God is doing these things to get us to a place where we can win the victory. Just thinking. After all, James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. We're going to do 2 through 4. We'll bounce down to 12. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, the outward sign that I believe God. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Verse 12, blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, for when he has finally overcome, for when he has actually done the thing, he will receive the victorious crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So quite possibly, God could be the God. God could be the God who is allowing. God is not a God who tempts anyone with sin, but God can allow trials into our life. And God does not waste pain. I know that for a fact, that God, will, that God is not the source or the author of pain in our life, but he, is not the, the, he will not allow it to go to waste. He'll say, I can take that and use that and mold that person to be more like the person I want them to be. He can take it and he can use it. Satan is the source of excuses for not pursuing victory. Satan is the one who says, fine, have, have this. I, I want to show another Nike video and then, uh, and then we'll close. Um, so let's take a look at this Nike video. This is about a famous basketball player. Anybody know the famous basketball player, Matt Scott? You will after this. I'm too weak, too slow, too big. I ate too much for breakfast. Got a headache. It's raining. My dog is sick. I can't right now. I'm not inspired. Makes me smell bad. I'm allergic to stuff. I'm fat. I'm thin. It's too hot. I'm not right. I've got shin splints. Headache. I'm distracted. I'm exerting myself too much. I'd love to really, but I can't. I just can't. My favorite show is on. I got a case of the Mondays, the Tuesdays, the Wednesdays. I don't want to do this. I'm gonna do something else. After New Year's. Next week. I might make a mistake. I got homework. Well, I feel bloated. I have gas. I got a hot date. My coach hates me. Mom won't let me. I bruise easily. It's too dark. It's too cold. My blister hurts. This is dangerous. Ugh, sorry, I don't have a bike. I didn't get enough sleep. My tummy hurts. It's not in my jeans. I don't want to look all tired out. I need a better coach. I don't like getting tackled. I have a stomach ache. I'm not the athletic type. I want to get sweaty. I have better things to do. I don't want to slow you down. I have to do this as soon as I get a promotion. I think I'll sit this one out. And my feet hurt. That's Scott. Paralympian also known as the Steph Curry of wheelchair basketball. Holds the record for three-pointers in wheelchair basketball. Born with spinal bifida, is in constant pain, 
and discomfort, all kinds of bad stuff was born like that, and yet he has no excuses what are ours. Just do it, right? Good videos, just do it and win a victory. I'll close with this. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of our sleep. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The ultimate victory is coming. The ultimate victory is coming when our positional victory will become our reality when we sit at the right hand of Christ. Between now, between today, in the hearing of these words, and that day, whether it's through your own death or whether it's through the coming of Jesus Christ himself to gather us to himself, between today and that day, we are to be victorious. We are to be sovereign. Little less sovereign, but we are to be sovereign and we are to win. That's the way that God designed us. We should probably just get to it, huh? Let's pray. Father, you love us with an unconditional, infinite love. You want us to be like you. And there are a lot of ways that we can be like you, but one of the ways is to win. One of the ways is to be victorious. We understand that if we, if, if we, are, if we are victorious in anything, it is only through you but we are to be victorious nonetheless. I ask, Lord God, that you would remind my brothers and sisters, myself included, of the dreams, of the visions, of the challenge that you have possibly even laid in front of us. Let us know that you are working beside us, with us, that your Holy Spirit empowers us, to push us on so that we could win victory for ourselves and understand even a little bit what it's like for you we would live a life that others would see and say, I want that. And when they say that, we can tell them about you. In Jesus' name, amen. 